Let's turn in our Bibles now to the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter. Exodus chapter 20, and we'll be reading uh, through verse 12. Let's hear now the word of God, Exodus 20 at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. We're picking up now in our study of the Ten Commandments, commandment number five. And as we do, let's remember what the whole purpose is of God giving us these commandments. Historically, uh, Christians have said that there are three basic uses of God's law. And that in itself helps us as we look at each one individually. The first use of the law is the fact that it reveals God's holy character and our lack of such. God says, here's the, the standard. It's a gold standard. It's a reflection of my character and nature and you being made in my image are created in order to reflect that holy character and nature. We can only do that, of course, through Jesus Christ. The second use of the law is that it serves to restrain evil. It's uh, in a general sense for all people, not just Christians, but for all people. Because everyone's made in God's image, they have a conscience. And it's very helpful to know that in most of the, the uh, legal uh, setup for countries in the world that have some sort of fairly good organization, democracies in particular, they have their own civil laws. And those laws are in large part based upon the Ten Commandments. Maybe not 
by design so much as by the fact that be made in the image of God, we just know that there are certain things that are right and wrong and certain things that deserve punishment in order to apply justice when wrongs are committed, when laws of the state are broken. And so that in itself keeps people from being as bad as they might be. Most people, if they're thinking about robbing a bank, might have reason to pause before they do so. You know, if I get caught, I might spend the rest of my life or a good portion of it in jail. Things like that. And the third use of the law is it instructs believers in how to live for Christ. Once we come under conviction that we are lawbreakers in the sight of God, we see our desperate need for Christ. We say, I run to Christ. And when we do, the Lord is changing us, making us new creations in Christ. And one of the things he does is give us a desire to obey him out of love. And Jesus, I mean, Moses here made very clear when he mentions what God says about God's commandments, who love me and keep my commandments, it says. We are to do that. Well, how do we do it? We do it by keeping God's commandments. And so that is a way for us to obey and glorify God, keeping his commandments. Now, these commandments are still in force today. We need to emphasize that because a lot of Christians have figured out a way, they think, to say that's the Old Testament, that's the Old Covenant. Christ came to do away with the law. We are under grace and not law anymore, so we don't have to be concerned about keeping the Ten Commandments. Well, it's true we don't have to be concerned about the, the uh, ceremonial law or uh, the civil law that uh, was in place under Old Testament Israel. But we do still have a moral obligation to God to keep his moral law. The New Testament, uh, the Old Testament commandments are mentioned numerous times in the New Testament. And so we know that those are still uh, in God's intent for us. Christians must embrace the divine, heaven-given significance of these 10 words. That's what they were called in the Bible, not the 10 commandments, but the 10 words. The 10 words, and they must earnestly seek to apply them to their lives. And if they have young children, they need to apply them to their children's lives as well. The fact that our society is in the process of a wholesale dumping of these Ten Commandments in one way or another should be proof enough of what happens when we abandon our keeping of them. We've gotten further and further away as a society from taking the Ten Commandments seriously. And what do we have to show for it? How has it helped us as a society? I think we probably would answer by saying we have nothing good to show for it. It's only gotten worse. Let's connect those dots. Blessed is the nation, the people, whose God is the Lord. And we want to be faithful as God's people, regardless of what our culture does, regardless of what our country does, but we still desire to see at least that general respecting 
and honoring of those commandments, uh, even by those who don't know the Lord. Of course, only we as Christians can really know those true blessings. We see this happening, this abandoning of the commandments in our homes, in our education systems, in science, in government, in the media, all of these influential uh, elements in our culture are bowing the knee to expediency and compromise and uh, a gradual, if not complete, abandonment of these commandments. We are the ones, the redeemed people of God, who must swim against that tide so we can serve our glorious King faithfully, so that we can shine as lights in this dark world of sin. And as we see here in the fifth commandment, we have a divine encouragement to do so. Note simply three things here about this commandment. First of all, the prominence of this commandment. It's prominent in terms of its relationship to the other commandments. You remember we've talked about how the Ten Commandments can be uh, divided into two parts. The first four commandments focus on our duty to God. And the last six commandments focus on our duty to people. It's a way of saying, here's how you are to love God. And here's how to, you are to love your neighbor, which Jesus called, right, the great commandment. So how do we do that? How do I love God? How do I love my neighbor? Well, keep the Ten Commandments. Keep the Ten Commandments and you'll be making that good effort uh, to please the Lord and be a blessing. So in these Ten Commandments then, the Fifth Commandment really serves as a bridge between the way to love God and the way to love others. There is a real significance, remember, in the order of these commandments. And now as we look at the fifth, we see how really there's no way that people are going to keep commandments six through ten if they have not kept the first five. The loving God and then it all comes back to the home. The home is the key source of obeying and keeping all these commandments. And it's especially important when it comes to people keeping these last five commandments. We'll start looking at those, Lord willing, next week when we talk about murder. Now, last Sunday, I wasn't here. I was planning to be here. The Lord had other plans. And I'm glad that my friend Bebo was here to bring God's word to you. But if I had been here, I would have preached on this fifth commandment. That was the, the next one in order. I would have preached on it last Sunday. And today on Father's Day, I would have preached on you shall not commit murder. And I didn't think that was a good idea. I don't know. So it really worked out wonderfully that today is the day that we're thinking about the fifth commandment, Father's Day. And for the Christian, of course, every day is Father's Day. Every day is Mother's Day. We are to honor our father and our mother. And it doesn't say do it just on those two Sundays that have been designated for that. It's a continual duty. 
And so the commandment is prominent in terms of its placement in the order of these Ten Commandments, but it's also prominent in its emphasis on the home. A fundamental component of social order is the home being ordered according to the precepts that God has given us. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2 where God gives the man and the woman specific responsibilities to one another and to, to come together in marriage and to complete the work or to seek to help fulfill the work of uh, fulfilling, uh, of keeping the world and taking care of it and multiplying and having a righteous influence on the world, developing it. God wants us to develop the world with our gifts and skills and abilities for the glory of God. Well, it's another way, that's another way of saying, and listen very carefully, it's a simple statement. As the home goes, as the home goes, so society goes. Now, it's important for us to remember that right now because we are we are being somewhat distracted with all the things going on in our, in our world. For instance, how do we stop or reduce the explosion of gun murders? I don't know that in past generations, this hasn't always been a problem, of course. It, it has, it has been murder ever since Cain and Abel. A lot of murders mentioned in the Bible. Most of them unjust. They're, they would be, would be unjust if they're murders, which we'll get into next week. But the answer to that question, of course, the Christian knows. The Christian knows that the answer to every human problem is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can change our hearts and, and help us overcome those sinful desires that can get the best of us in all kinds of ways. So the, the real answer, if you want to look for an answer to that particular issue, I'm not trying to be political, but the answer is not found in just taking away instruments of murder. If we could get rid of all the guns in this country, what would murderers do? There are going to be people who want to murder other people. If they can't do it with a gun, they'll find something else to use. Now, the answer is deeper than that. The answer is those people should have had and probably did not have a good home life. Father and mother being faithful to their responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities is to train and teach their children to honor their father and mother. And as we'll see, that means something more than just your literal father and mother. The home situation in our country is dire. I was amazed looking back over recent statistics to find that there are 25 million children without a father in our country, a biological father, 25 million. 
No need to get into the reasons why. That's not our, our concern right now. And that comes down to one in three homes are without a father. One in three. And guess what state has the highest percentage of children without a father? You guessed it. 34.3%, I believe it is, in Mississippi. Followed by the second worst, Alabama. Followed as the third worst, Louisiana. We're right in the fatherless belt. And of course, it's all over the country, but that is a major issue that doesn't get much attention, certainly not from the perspective of God's wisdom. So all of that is to say that no family is perfect, but numerous studies indicate what the Bible tells us anyway, that there's a great difference between having a father and a mother in the home. Again, they won't be perfect fathers and mothers, but their mere presence brings stability. And then of course, if they're seeking to do things God's way, that's a glorious and wonderful thing. That doesn't guarantee that the children will uh, grow up to be Christians and all of that, but there's a great, much greater possibility that that will happen. So covenant promises that God makes to us. Children in the home learn authority. And that's what this commandment is really telling them. You need to respect or honor your father and mother because they have the God-given authority to lead you, to love you, to care for you, to protect you, and to prepare you for life under God. The job is not primarily given, the job of parenting is not primarily given to government. It's not given primarily to school, not even given primarily to the church. All of those institutions can be helpful. I've always thought that in the, the case of our children, there were three primary influencers, institutions, that all really in a fairly coordinated way were used by God to enable our children, our two children, to come to know Christ under God's covenant blessings. One of those, of course, and first and foremost, is the home. Were my children's parents perfect? No. Especially the father. Especially. Were our children perfect? No. But they were obedient, generally speaking, and they on their own came to faith in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. That's just my experience. But the home was a big factor. You know, we sought to teach them. And, of course, obviously they were always in church. Uh, and I, I never liked that phrase. I, my mother and father, or mostly my mother, used to drag me to church every Sunday. We didn't feel like we ever had to drag our kids. They just went. That's what we do. 
So the home, the school. Our children were able to have, uh, for a large part of their education, uh, schools that, if they weren't explicitly Christian schools, they, they honored the Christian principles. And then, of course, the church. Home, school, church. The, mo- the best combination of those that a parent can put together for their kids, and it will vary from family to family, the best combination of that, of course, is going to be some combination of those three, but most important of all is the home. Now, when the family, we need to, to, to again, connect the dots. When the family is destroyed in a society, the society is destroyed. That's how important the family is. A society cannot prosper, it cannot survive, but only to the extent that there's reasonable health in family life. Resist the temptation to say, oh, the government needs to do this. Resist the temptation to try to to think that the answers are beyond the home. Christians, for Christians, the significance of this principle goes even deeper, of course. We're, we're concerned about the kingdom, not just our government, not just our our culture, or our nation, our political nation. We, we belong to a more important nation. We belong <clears throat> as the people of God to the church. <clears throat> the New Jerusalem. We belong to, we are citizens of heaven. And we want to, to display that and seek to influence the world through the gospel with that. So let's don't settle for, you know, just trying to get the government to do things or whatever. Those, there may be a place for that at times, but we still have to make sure we do not minimize or neglect our duties at the home. Someone has said that God intends the family to be our first hospital, our first school, our first government, our first church. If we do not respect authority at home, we will not respect it anywhere. Now, Martin Luther, I believe, is the one who said that every home should be a little church. It's a wonderful way to look at it. How much priority are you giving to your family? Is your family near the top of your most important list, just below your commitment to God. Quickly notice, secondly, the practice of this commandment and the promise. The term for honor is a Hebrew word that means heavy or weighty. You know how we, we'd say of someone who's very influential, he carries a lot of weight in what he does. He's not, they're not talking about the fact that he weighs 260 pounds. That's another kind of carrying a lot of weight. We say that when we say somebody has a good bit of authority and influence. To honor your parents is to not treat them lightly. Treat them heavily. 
they carry a lot of weight in the eyes of God and in the way God has arranged the home. The parents are the heavy hitters in the home. They carry a lot of weight because they are given authority by God to rule over their children. And that means for parents, God has delegated this responsibility to parents to lead their children, as I mentioned, to love them enough that you will instruct them in the word of God, teach them how to live for God, to glorify God, to honor God, and to love one another. Of course, Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 tell us uh, that parents are to do that in the New Testament. For children, this means you should look on your parents as God's servants to love you, provide for you, and train you to love God by believing his, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that you may live to do his will with your lives. That's the children's purpose to live, to do God's will in their lives. There is to be no arguing, no complaining, no disrespectful talking to your parents or about your parents. Appreciate their sacrifices for you. Parents have to sacrifice a lot, not just with money. Children usually don't understand that till they get older. I know I didn't. And thank them. Children, do you think about that? Do you think about how you should thank your parents when they do things to help you, to provide for you? Thank you, Mommy. Thank you, Daddy. I love you. Children need to learn that they need the Lord Jesus Christ to rule their hearts. But what if your parent, parents fail you? What if you, as an adult, can look back and say, you know, my parents didn't do a very good job of this. Well, learn from it. Don't be bitter about it. You still are called upon to honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother, even if you're out on your own and you're on the other side of the world for them, you can still honor them by the way that you continue to stay in touch with them, converse with them, care for them as they get older and have more needs. Don't neglect them. Yes, and continue to thank them. Don't come to a point in your life where when your parents have gone that you regret not saying the things that you should have said. That's, those are ways that we can honor our father and our mother. No time limits. There's one child, you know, who never broke this commandment, honor your father and mother. One child and only one child who never broke this commandment. And you know who that was. Luke 2.51 tells us when Jesus was 12 years old and parents found him in the temple and after they did that, they all went back home to Nazareth where it says in verse 51 that Jesus submitted to them. Think about that. Jesus submitting to people. Jesus, who could have said, I don't have to submit to you, Mary and Joseph, mom and dad, because I'm the son of God. 
My father's in heaven. He could have done that, but he came to fulfill the law for us. And of course, that is a, a great example and model for us. If Jesus submitted to his earthly mother and father, how much more should you and I, who are sinners and need parents to lead us in our lives? And of course, this also means, and I'll only touch on this, but this also means that in submitting to mother and father, the commandment implies that we are to submit to all legitimate authorities. There are levels of authorities. The Bible talks about the different ones. Those who teach us in school, for instance, civil authorities, work, our bosses, and church, we have responsibilities to submit to those who are in authority over us in those levels. Shorter Catechism number 66 tells us, has this interesting phrase in it, that we are to submit as far as it shall serve for God's glory and our, their own good. As far as. So that means there are times when we can't submit if it's requiring us to sin. Mary Beakey said, if our children don't obey us, they will struggle to obey employers, police, and God himself. That's how important the family is. That's part of why, how important it is. And the last thing I'm, let me mention is the promise. The promise at the end of this verse. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's a significant promise because it's given to children who need that promise, who need that encouragement. Why should I listen to mommy and daddy? Mommy and daddy might say, because I said so, and that's true, but they also need to teach their children because God says so. Don't leave that part out. It's too easy to make excuses for not honoring our parents. John Calvin said this, this promise serves to act like a nudge with his spurs. Prod us along to do what we need to do. And the, the promise is for a long life. Now don't think that that means that if you're faithful, you're gonna to live to be 100 years old and if you're not faithful, you're gonna die when you're 30. There are faithful Christians who live shorter lives Think about Jesus. <laughs> and there are unfaithful Christians who can live to be 100. So don't go by that too strictly. It generally does mean faithfulness to Christ results in a long life. However, maybe 70 years, maybe 100 years, whatever it is. But even more importantly, it is a full life. Remember at the end of Job, it says, and Job lived 120 more years and lived a full life, full, full of days is the phrase it uses. Full of days, that means fullness of life, rich and blessed. Let this promise sink into your mind and heart. Don't look over it too quickly. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For them, in Exodus 20, that meant the promised land of Canaan. For us, 
Yes, we live in the world. We are part of this world right now. But ultimately it means the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. And we will have long days there, eternity in the best place possible. The fifth commandment is truly a weighty commandment. There's so much in our lives and in our families and in our society that depends on God's people being faithful in keeping this commandment. But you, you might well wonder, how can I possibly keep this commandment? Every one of us in here, this applies to you. You may not be an actual father. You may not have children if you're grown. But you have responsibilities to honor those in authority over you on those different levels. You may be a child wishing that you had a dad in your house. Well, you have to honor that position and you have to, to follow the guidance of your mother and the church. We need to step in, men, and help fatherless families. Be a mentor. Find someone that you can help. If you do not have children in your home now, there's so much that we can pass on. Through the grace and power of God, the Holy Spirit, we can with Joshua say, as for me and my house, we will, not we hope or we might, we will serve the Lord. Ask the Lord to enable you in whatever station in life you are right now, whatever your specific situation may be, to apply this commandment to your situations. Ask yourself, am I doing what I should be doing? Where <clears throat> do I need to make adjustments? Where can I improve? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? And then follow up on that. Confess your failures. We all have them. Find grace from the Lord, and the Lord will honor this promise. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would instill within us, maybe in a fresh sense, the importance of this commandment. And we pray that not only for ourselves, but we pray that for the fathers in this room, the fathers in our congregation. Lord, may they be diligent and faithful to lovingly lead in their homes and to instruct and train and prepare their children along with their wives so that the children would see both father and mother showing the love and the grace of Jesus before them and preparing them for the world. Father, we pray that we also would see your blessing beyond our own congregation. We pray for all fathers and mothers that are serving you through Christ in our land. Strengthen them and help us, Lord, not to compromise uh, with the weakening of our culture from these commandments. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.